You're listening to Podnosis, the pulse of the healthcare industry. I'm Teresa Carey. Every week, journalists from Fierce Healthcare dive into some of the industry's biggest topics. We talk with experts about what's important now so you can prepare for the future. In a little bit, we'll talk about what we can expect from retail health. But first up, let's talk about pregnancy care. There will be about 3.6 million births in the United States this year. Around 4% of those pregnancies will lead to preeclampsia, which is a high blood pressure condition that could be fatal. In fact, preeclampsia is the second leading cause of maternal mortality worldwide. While 80% of pregnancies and deliveries are healthy, rates of complications are on the rise. Research from Blue Cross Blue Shield shows that between 2014 and 2018, the rates of pregnancy complications rose more than 16%. And the U.S. has the highest maternal mortality rate among other wealthy nations. The good news is that prenatal care helps prevent many of these complications. But at the same time, one out of 16 babies are born to a woman who did not get adequate prenatal care. Some get no prenatal care at all. It could be because they don't have adequate transportation to get to appointments. Or the only available appointments are during their work hours. Or perhaps there aren't providers in their area. Places like this are called maternity care deserts. And about 36% of all U.S. counties fall under that category. Fierce Healthcare's senior editor, Heather Landy, spoke with Dr. Allison Cowan, a practicing OBGYN and head of medical affairs at Mervi, a pregnancy care startup. Hi, Dr. Cowan. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to chat with you about how technology and innovation can transform pregnancy care. Hi, Heather. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be with you today. So as an OBGYN, what concerns you about the current state of pregnancy health in the United States? What are you seeing in your practice and with your patients that's convinced you that the care model needs to change? When we take into context, for example, the fact that the United States spends, um, you know, among the highest, if not the highest, uh, of industrialized countries on healthcare uh, by GDP, yet we have some of the worst outcomes for maternal mortality and other measures. Um, you know, it's pretty clear from that that something needs to change. So our maternal mortality rate has risen over the last several years. So we need to make some improvements um, in the care that that patients are receiving. We've also seen overall a recent report, for example, from the CDC showed that more than eight in 10 uh, pregnancy-related deaths were preventable. And so when we see that women are dying and we could be preventing this, we really need to be striving for every opportunity to change the the paradigm of care, as well as to innovate in pregnancy health so that we can provide patients with the best care possible. Right. Now, in a, a previous conversation, you mentioned that the, the kind of current prenatal care model was developed in the 1930s, which that surprised me. I didn't know that. So why hasn't this care model changed? You know, what is lacking with the current standard of care for pregnancies today? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it is so interesting that the care model hasn't changed since the 1930s. In fact, in 1930, that was when the routine visit schedule was first recommended. And the reason for that recommendation was actually um, based on a desire to identify preeclampsia, 
Um, so preeclampsia being a disorder of high blood pressure and protein in the urine and other other findings in pregnancy that can be life-threatening for both moms and babies. Um, that was the reason for creating a standardized visit schedule that we're all pretty familiar with, I think. Over time, um, it's now, you know, almost 100 years later, and we finally realized that there's opportunity to improve on this. And so it used to be that you did have to go to the doctor to have your blood pressure checked. Um, You did have to go in person for all of these visits. But over time, we've actually also found that patients have barriers to, to seeking care. And so I've certainly seen this frequently in my practice where Um, Patients will come for their first visit because they know they want to have that ultrasound to check on the baby and get their due date. And then they may not come back for a while. They may not come back until their anatomy ultrasound around 20 weeks of pregnancy because they know they need to have that done. And then they can find out if they're having a boy or a girl, which a lot of patients do want to have that information. And then they may not come back again for several weeks. So we know that Patients have barriers to seeking care, and so we need to do everything we can to get around those barriers, and now we have modern tools to do that. Um, So uh, for that reason, I think that um, with the rise of telehealth and digital health, patients are are more able to um, sort of combine their prenatal visit schedule in person with a tailored one that they can do at home. Um, So they can do some visits via telehealth. They can check their blood pressure at home, for example. They can meet with their care provider from the comfort of their own home for some visits. And then for the others, they can uh, still be seen in person as they would traditionally be for ultrasounds and certain other critical visits. So I think ACOG has recognized that digital health and telehealth are, are on the rise, that there's a huge demand for it. Um, And so our professional society is now underway with developing finally some new modern recommendations for the pregnancy care schedule. We know that some patients really want to be seen in person um, for all of their visits, and that's okay. They'll always still have that opportunity, whereas others will want to maximize the number of visits they can do from from their homes with telehealth and other technologies. And so to really individualize and personalize the care model, I think is what our professional societies are heading towards. And I think it's the right direction because we're seeing that demand from patients. Right. That's really interesting. Let's kind of dig into that a little bit more. As you mentioned, investment in digital health and healthcare technology really ramped up, especially in the past two years, as the industry pivoted to telehealth. Looking ahead, how do you see technology, digital health, wearables, you know, remote monitoring, How do you see all these technologies, you know, being used to augment care for pregnant patients? Yeah, um, I think that their use is really in its infancy still. We saw a huge sort of overnight shift to telehealth with COVID. And so it almost pains me to talk about any silver linings of COVID. However, I have to name this shift to telehealth as one because it put pressure on payers to actually reimburse for telehealth, whereas they had not previously done so. And it really put pressure on us as physicians and care providers to find a way quickly to see patients remotely. And once we figured that out and we realized we could incorporate that into everyday practice and our patients were telling us that they liked this and wanted to continue it, you know, now I think moving forward, irrespective of of COVID numbers Um, and the status of the pandemic, we know that patients need and want uh, a remote option for their health care. And so I think it's only going to grow over time. Right. 
So let's talk about this a little bit more in terms of the risk of preeclampsia and pregnancy complications. There are rising rates of pregnancy complications. One recent study found that rates of dangerous high blood pressure problems during pregnancy more than doubled in the United States between 2007 and 2019. Now, are these conditions being detected early enough to develop a preventive treatment plan? And how can technology play a role in better identifying patients at risk early enough to intervene? That's a great question, Heather. Um, And yeah, it's really quite shocking that even before COVID-19, so the the study referenced uh, showed a doubling, as you said, of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy between 2007 and 2019. So that was all pre-COVID. And layering on top of that, we've actually seen a pretty strong relationship between COVID-19 infection and pregnancy and preeclampsia risk as well. Um, So it looks like from the largest study that we have available today um, that having COVID-19 in pregnancy increases the risk of preeclampsia by a little over 60%. So lots of data still emerging emerging about this relationship, but um, certainly we've seen concerning trends over the last 15 to 20 years. And this is where we really need innovation and the ability to better predict preeclampsia. And and that's the the work that my company is working on at Mirvi. So we're developing uh, an RNA platform in order to take a sample of mom's blood earlier in pregnancy. And from that blood sample, we can actually predict who is going to develop preeclampsia later in pregnancy. So we can detect about 75% of moms that will go on to develop preeclampsia. And this is important because there are some interventions that can be done um, in order to prevent preeclampsia from happening or that can uh, allow moms and their care providers to identify it as soon as it occurs. Um, But one simple intervention is that we put a lot of patients on uh, baby aspirin a day, and that can actually reduce the risk of preterm preeclampsia by about 75% if patients take it every day as prescribed. So it's really actually a pretty strong uh, risk reduction, strong benefit with just a baby aspirin a day. Um, There are some other things that might be considered for moms at increased risk of preeclampsia, like that increased blood pressure monitoring that we mentioned. So lots, lots still to be discovered. Really, the ability to predict the complications before they occur is the gateway to innovation and therapeutics and prevention as well. Yeah, the work that uh, Mervy is is doing in this space is really innovative. It's definitely a company to watch. Now, in, in order to improve pregnancy health, I mean, a key part of that is to address healthcare disparities, right? Studies showed there are significant gaps in access to prenatal and maternal care for underserved populations, and there are disparities between urban versus rural healthcare. How do you think that digital health and technology innovation can help to bridge these care gaps? Gosh, I think it's part of the solution to be sure, but um, I don't know if you read the March of Dimes report that was released last week, but there was a really interesting report that that they put out on maternity care deserts. Mm -hmm. And so what they found um, was that Overall, there's been about a two percent increase in maternal uh, in uh, maternity care deserts in the United States, and what qualifies as a maternity care desert is uh, a location that does not have a um, hospital or a birth center, so no obstetrical services within that um, within that community, and then um, 
also lacking any OB providers. So a pretty strict definition. Um, And so we're seeing more maternity care deserts. um, And we know that patients who live in those areas have worse outcomes, both for moms and for their babies. And overall, about 36% of U.S. counties are maternity care deserts. And so when you think about what that means in practical terms, that means that these patients, these women are having to go quite long distances to seek their care. Um, And that's something that I've seen in the area where I practice. I'm in Northern Colorado, and I have not infrequently had patients come from out of state, such as in Wyoming, because they don't have great access to care where they are. And so it's not unusual for me to see patients driving a couple of hours to come to come and see us. So this is a very real um, practical challenge that digital health and telehealth can supplement somewhat. The interesting thing, though, is that although technology seems ubiquitous, it still isn't. And these counties where maternity care deserts exist, unfortunately, also are the counties where it's most likely that broadband is not available. So I think that telehealth, digital health will certainly be part of the solution. They won't be the entire solution, but any problem of this magnitude is going to need to have a multi-pronged approach for solutions. Right. I mean, the idea that uh, a pregnant woman has to drive hours just to see an OBGYN, um, obviously, that's just a, a huge problem that I think the healthcare industry really needs to tackle. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I, I actually became an OBGYN because my mom went to nursing school and she graduated when I was four years old and she became a labor and delivery nurse. And I was so inspired by her stories. And so I have been fascinated by pregnancy since I was a little girl. Um, and so when the opportunity arose to join Mirvi and work on these problems to actually try to predict complications before they occur. It just felt like the opportunity of a lifetime to actually um, engage in work that makes it difference on a much larger scale than what I would have the opportunity to do patient by patient. We know that preeclampsia predisposes us to an increased lifetime risk of cardiovascular disease. And this is incredibly important. We know that Uh, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of women. And so preeclampsia is incredibly important as sort of a a predictor and an opportunity to um, intervene for mom's future health as well. And so millions of women have stories just like that. And and that's what we're really hoping to drive at. We want to change the trajectory. We want to predict it before it happens and ultimately be able to Um, personalized pregnancy care for women so that they get the best care possible to prevent these outcomes and then drive to better therapeutics in the future. Well, Allison, thank you so much for sharing both your professional and your personal insights and experiences. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. It's been a pleasure to chat with you, Heather. Thank you so much for the opportunity to join you today. That was Heather Landy and Allison Cowan. Retailers have their eye on healthcare. Amazon, CVS Pharmacy, Walgreens, Walmart. These companies promise a more convenient experience for patients. However, many traditional providers are concerned about these companies while edging into their turf. Dr. Chinny Pularu is a practicing family medicine physician who's been with Walmart Health since they launched their first health clinics in 2019. Dr. Pularu joined senior editor Paige Minnemeyer to discuss where retail health is headed next. 
Dr. Pulu, thank you for joining me. Walmart Health earlier this year launched its latest clinics in Florida and has also announced partnerships with companies like United Health Group. The company's efforts are just one example of retail's push into healthcare. Companies including Walmart, Amazon, and retail pharmacy chains like CVS and Walgreens are all part of this trend. To, to start us off, why do you think retailers have a right to play in this space? And where do you see maybe the retail perspective bringing something unique to the industry? Thank you for having me. Um, you know, Walmart's been involved in healthcare since we opened our first pharmacy in, in 1978. Ever since then, we've proven to be a place where customers and patients trust that they can actually come for care. And importantly, we believe we have a role to play in increasing access to care. 90% of the U.S. population is located within 10 miles of a Walmart. That puts us in a very unique position to provide health and wellness services to all Americans, and frankly, some Americans that otherwise don't have another option. And I'll probably say this several times, but you know, really the greatest innovation we need in healthcare is simply for people to access it. You touched on access, and I know that much of Walmart's focus in, in healthcare has been around access and affordability, which is an extension of kind of how it approaches, you know, traditional retail. Um, bending the cost curve has been a major focus from other companies as well, who are retail companies as well, who are looking at this space. I mean, how do you see maybe the retail experience as something that positions you well to, to address that access and affordability question? So first, I would say we don't see this as a retail experience. We see this as a healthcare experience. And, you know, we, of course, start our patient experience when they book their appointment. A core tenant of our offering is that we do serve all patients and all customers, irrespective of their insurance status. We brought the best of healthcare technology into our clinics and our dental spaces and primary care, as well as our, our, our telehealth, because we believe that that's really important for our patients in order to make sure that technology is used as a tool to better their health outcomes. And so we have invested in, in really impressive technology. Our dental space, for example, has a machine that makes crowns in just a few hours. This gives our patients, one, the convenience of having it done the same day, not having to come back, particularly in areas where transportation is difficult for patients, but also it is one-stop dentistry and therefore they can truly get all of their care at one time. Busy families, for example, are able to book teeth cleanings and back-to-school physicals for the whole family on the same Saturday afternoon. And as a mother myself, I have three kids and, and I raise them while being a physician. And, you know, this was always one of the biggest challenges for me is how do I get health care for, and that's with me being in the system. So, you know, we are um, happy to provide that sort of integrated care to our patients where they can save time. You mentioned that you know, a lot of these clinics um, are in underserved communities and that certainly Walmart stores have reach um, in communities across the country. I mean, as you're thinking about providing care to those populations, how important is that level of community trust to really establish a relationship with those patients? First, you know, healthcare is hard. And Walmart Health has, um, you know, has entered the primary care space right before everything changed with the pandemic. We have uh, nearly three years of learnings under our belt and have recruited a team of talented new associates with background in healthcare. But something we've always known but has come into particular focus in the past two years during the pandemic is that healthcare is local. And patients want to be cared for by people they know who understand the particular challenges of their community. 
So it's one of the reasons why we work with providers from local communities where our patients live. Our care hosts and then our community health workers particularly are part of the local community. And these familiar faces are important in earning the trust of our patients and delivering the quality of care that's needed. We, we saw that play out most recently in Chicago, where our community health workers were able to partner and help patients help manage and, and their diabetes programs and help them not become diabetic. So we, you know, we actually we actually piloted several DPP programs and had great outcomes in a community that doesn't have those resources through our community health worker program. And the places where we're shifting to meet the needs of patients as we're learning is technology. Our associates and providers are enabled with the best in, best in class technology that we can implement. So, for example, Epic, you know, the EHR system is, that is in 28 of our centers this year, it is also implemented in more than 2,000 hospitals and 45,000 clinics in the U.S. That helps our clinicians know where patients are when they're not in our clinic and sometimes when they've had life-changing catastrophic events. You know, the United Health Group partnership is is a 10-year deal and, and Walmart has also inked partnerships with other kind of notable companies in healthcare. Um, as, as you're thinking about cracking into this space, I mean, do you think that retailers need to find, you know, kind of partners in the traditional healthcare realm to to succeed and maybe what is kind of key to making those relationships work? Healthcare is hard, like I said earlier, and no one entity is going to be able to provide the continuum of care for patients. And partnering with entities like United Healthcare and Optum helps bring best in class services and really provide for the patient holistically in that continuum of care. And so we, you know, we are very excited about that partnership, but we also look to other partnerships that we can potentially have in order to make sure that our patients are taken care of when and how they need to be taken care of, as well as in spaces and acuity levels that we don't plan on providing, um, such as hospital-based ICU care. So we will be looking forward to partnering with entities that are in the space already. We've talked a little bit about some of the positive results that you've seen, even anecdotally, in your in your healthcare work. Um, but maybe where do you see room for for retail health to continue growing and and, and evolve to, to better meet patient needs? I think that some of the places where we in Walmart and um, in healthcare can look at is how do we provide for scope of services? You know, what are those things that patients need when they're in our environment and when they're not in our environment, frankly, and how can we encompass those scope of services and bring the concepts of a great patient experience as well as decreasing the barrier to the complexity of care for patients. So that's one place that we're actively investigating. The other thing that I think we can really help is looking at social determinants of health, right? We know that 70% of a patient's outcomes are tied to health behaviors. You know, it really is their zip code, not their genetic code. And this is a place where being the country's largest grocer, for example, uh, one of the largest uh, grocers in the world with organic fresh foods can play a part in helping modify behaviors to healthy behaviors. Chinny, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That was Chinny Pularu and Paige Minnemeyer. 
for listening to Podnosis. I'm Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodgson. You can find more news and stories at FierceHealthcare.com. And be sure to subscribe to our feed to hear us every Wednesday. We've got more great stuff to come. So just ask your smart speaker to play Podnosis, where healthcare is our beat. Podnosis.